Starting a new study in 2 Thessalonians. We've just completed 1 Thessalonians, and uh, so we'll be reading the first four verses. That will get us kicked off today. Um, We're going to be talking about the church. I hope it's exciting for you. We're going to be talking about what constitutes church health, a healthy church. This will be an overview of uh, what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, the Lord willing. Let's read together. You read silently as I read this aloud. Listen to the Word of God. Paul Silvanus, his nickname was Silas, you may know him as that, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Father, I thank you and praise you now as we enter into a study of your word. Keep us not only physically awake and alert, but also spiritually awake and alert. We want, above all, to be a church like this church, this little struggling church many years ago in Thessalonica. That was a church that Paul said, I can boast about you. Father, grant that it be so, not for our glory, but for yours alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. When you walked in church, into this building today, maybe when you walked into this auditorium, was there a, a difference for you? I'm talking about a difference in in terms of walking into another building or another kind of meeting. Did you sense a difference? I'm not sure that given the week-in, week-out attendance that many of us do, that we really consciously think about this. But we need to know that The church of Jesus Christ is not like being a part of a club. It's not like being a part of a team, as good as that might be. A part of our student ministry, you just got back from Barnabas. There was some bonding, I know, maybe some trauma bonding as you were doing your work together. It's not like being a part of an athletic team, as good as that might be, or a dance team or even the military and all the, the bonding that can take place there. And here's why. God intends to display the glory of His beauty, His perfection 
I, I stop at that word because I know that we are not a perfect church, but He wants to display His perfection and His love through the church. There is no better evangelistic tool. There is no better missions strategy or counseling program than the image of God shining through His gathering of imperfect but transforming people. And I'm talking about a healthy church. Ron, you read my mind. Now, Ron is perfect, okay? This clicker is very, very much imperfect. All right. Barbara might have something to say about that. Okay. I think, I think you're tracking with me. I've said some lofty things. I hope it's sinking in at least a little bit. But I'm not thinking primarily of numbers. There are bigger churches. I'm not thinking primarily of buildings. By far and away, there are a lot prettier church buildings than ours. I'm not thinking about budgets. While God has been faithful to give us, through you, His people, strong giving so that we can support the ministries of the church. And like I said a minute ago, I'm not talking about being perfect. I I was thinking about this last week. If we were going to think about our own bodies, a healthy body is not a perfect body. A healthy body is not even a body that is totally free from, get this, disease or aches or pains, the inevitable things that because of living in a fallen world, they come our way. But a healthy body, and I'm talking about a physical body now, is one that has achieved a certain degree of health so it can fight off the attacks that come. That's what we're talking about, being a healthy church. As I said in my prayer, a church over which someone like the Apostle Paul could boast. I I, I want you to know I'm passionate about this. There was a moment last week when I was thinking about, oh my goodness, I'm going to get up and I'm going to talk about the church, and they're automatically going to be people that will click it off, and they think I'm talking about an institution. Obviously, there is an institution. We're talking about something more than that that we'll get to in a minute. But the reason that I'm passionate about it, after I looked at this, I realized it's because God is passionate about it. And so I hope you who are members of our church, those of you who are visiting with us today, whether you come here or the Lord leads you to another place of ministry, I look out and I know for a fact of some people who will be moving away from us, and I hope that they will find a church, a local assembly of believers where God's name is exalted, not just in the sermon, but in song. I think we saw that a few moments ago. Where relationships are tied together by love and service. We're not where we want to be or ought to be, but we're growing in that. Where marriages and where families are built for endurance, and where Christ's sacrifice is daily pictured in the lives of believers that are 
still sinning, but we are repenting Christians. Here's the key verse in the whole book of 2 Thessalonians. You'll have to go over to it, or you can just look at it on the screen, verses 15 through 17 of the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. Here, here is the basic theme of what Paul is saying. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. Don't let that term hang you up. It just meant those things that had a consistency that were taught to us either by our spoken word or by our letter, the truth of God. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace we're going to talk about that in the days ahead, that good comfort at His coming. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I gave you a, several lengthy quotes this week, and one of those I want to direct your attention to because it just gives a definition of everything that I've just said. Maybe I, maybe I should have just read the quote and forgot what I just told you. But, but here's what it says. Legan Duncan, when he talks about what a church looks like that, that's committed to the ordinary means of grace, what he means is the singing of the Word, the preaching of the Word, the reading of the Word, the seeing of the Word in, in the Lord's Supper and in baptism, the praying of the Word, the ordinary means of grace. Listen to this. Here's what we want to be. It will be a, characterized by love for expository preaching, passion for worship, Delight in truth, embrace of the gospel, the Spirit's work of conversion, a life of godliness, robust family religion. Don't you love that? Biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical church membership, mutual accountability in the church, biblical church leadership, and a desire to be a blessing to the nations. Along with all of this, there will be an unapologetic, humble, and joyful celebration of the transcendent sovereignty of the one true triune God in salvation and in all things. So if we're going to be a healthy church, let's first define what a church is, all right? Let's look at it. Um, you see there on your outline, verses 1 and 2, basically capsulizes the thought of a healthy church is a gospel-saturated and ha church and has true believers for its membership. Now, that may sound like it's obvious. I'm not so, so sure it always is. Go back to the Scripture and notice this in verse 1. Paul writes to the church. That word in the Greek just simply means called out ones who are gathered together, who are connected together. Now look what he says, the church of the Thessalonians. So they are gathered together in a local assembly, a physical location. They were in Thessalonica. But even more importantly than just being a church, and, and this is so, this is key, this is huge that we get a hold of this. More than just a group of people who assembled together, we are the body of Christ. We are not only in this building, Heritage Baptist Church on Council Road, but we are in. God, our Father, 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul talks about a physical location, and he talks about a spiritual location. One is temporary. We don't know how long it's going to be before the Lord comes back. But whenever He does, we already know, and we get a little hint of this in the next part of this first chapter, of all things being consumed, being burned up with fire. This is not going to be left. There will be no remnant of this building per se. But what will remain is the eternal church of Jesus Christ, that which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say this to you and to those of you who are in our overflow, in our mask venue, or at home. Paul never conceived of an individual coming to faith in Jesus Christ and remaining out there alone. Now, you know that. You know that intellectually. And I think a, many, a great many of you know that spiritually too, that even though we are called to faith in Christ individually, I can't do it for you. I couldn't do it for my kids. My kids can't do it for my grandkids. But you are called individually, but we are to come together in a local assembly of believers. Now, we're going to get to the last part of this today, which talks about this church existed in, in the, the sphere, in the context of suffering, persecution and affliction. And yet Paul's assumption was they, they come together. Now, I know we have been through this last year and a lot of things from this last year, and the only thing I the only thing that I want to do is to say to you that all things being equal, the writer to the Hebrews, when he said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, I understand that there are some circumstances, and some of you are home, but you are assembling together. Some of you are providentially hindered. Just found out a few minutes ago that there's someone who had to go to Dallas. They're listening. They, they are a part of the gathering. That's okay, but that's not the ultimate. In, in the context of suffering, Paul assumed that this church was gathering together regularly to be built up in the faith, in a physical location. Now, let's, let's go back. I, I just want to give you a little bit of a historical perspective about the church. Book of Acts. You familiar with the birth of the church? Uh, when when the, the little group, 120 people, that's fewer than we've got here in this room today, but 120 people, believers, followers of Christ, they were inundated with the Holy Spirit, and there was this huge, huge crowd of Jews from every nation, and boom, the Holy Spirit pulled off an incredible, incredible miracle. Sometimes we say it was the gift of tongues. Well, it was the gift of tongues in reverse. They, they were praising the Lord. They just started exploding with this praise, and I don't know if they, I don't think they had a choir, and I don't think they had a, an orchestra. 
They, they were praising. And all of the people heard this miracle. They could each hear them praising in their own language. And so they came together and they said, oh, what, what, what's the deal here? And Peter stands up, filled with boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches to them, and God called a number of them out. A number. Look, look at this. I, I think it's interesting that at the end of Peter's sermon, as a preacher, you, you kind of, you're always thinking about that. You're, you're always Boy, that'd be great if it would happen that at the end of the sermon, rather than Jonathan just coming up and giving a few announcements, uh, but, but people so struck, maybe not by the, 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 the way the gospel was presented, but just by the Holy Spirit, they would be raising their hands and saying, uh, uh, Pastor, Pastor, please don't stop. What must I do to be saved? That's what they did. The birth of the church. So what did Peter say? Join a church. Some of you didn't know how to respond to that. No, he did not say join a church. Get this. He said, here's what the gospel says. Repent and believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And what happened? They became the church. The Lord added them, 3,000 of them. Now, I, I can't even imagine what kind of organizational, structural issues. Well, a little bit later on we find out there were some problems that came up and the Holy Spirit would guide the, the leaders to, to take care of those things. But look at that, 3,000 souls were added to what? What? The church. I don't know that they had a big sign-up party. Got them on the rolls. They were baptized. We, we, we know that they became a part of what Paul has just talked about, the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's stunning. That's amazing. Now, here's what I want you to see, and I said something about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That, that's God's intent for the local assembly of believers. We're, we're really not as concerned. We pray for our, our, our sister churches. We pray that they're getting it right, preaching the Word and all the rest of that. But, but whenever he's talking to a local assembly of believers, he's saying, look, your heart ought to be not forsaking yourselves to come together. Now, this is both a spontaneous reality and something that's intentional, all right? It's kind of like your individual growth in Jesus Christ. If, if you're a true Christian then spiritual growth, spiritual fruit is inevitable. But it's not automatic. And that's why even though that we are a church, a group of people meeting together in a place like this, we get a little bit of a cue from the folks there. 
all who believe. These are part of that first church. 3,000. How many were there? 3,120. They were added to the 120. So there was that day, and they were together. Solomon's portico. They, they came together. Whatever meeting place they could. Church buildings really didn't get into vogue until about between three and 400 A.D. So, so they were meeting together, and, and not only big church on the weekends. I like to call this big church. Uh, it's bigger than our little church meetings in ABF. You know, that's part of the church. Could I put a plug in for ABF? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together in ABF. I, well, I, I, I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm just saying that's a part of the gathering of the church. And that's where a lot, that's where ministry should Again, we're not perfect about that, but that's where ministry ought to take place. But then look at what else was happening day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were getting after it, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. I, I just got to share something that a brother shared with me this morning won't say who. This, this, is what, this is what leaders of a church live for. When a person says, you know, I've attended church in the past out of a sense of duty. By the way, duty is not all bad. I, having a sense of obligation. You, you have that in your marriage. You have that at work and other different kinds of, of relationships but he said, I can honestly say, I enjoy coming to church. And he, he's meaning the assembling of ourselves together. This is for us. This is not just for a church in, in Thessalonica that existed 2,000 years ago. This is for Heritage Baptist Church. This is for us. This is about connection. And I, I alluded to the fact, I said this two weeks ago in our annual meeting, we, we have not perfected yet our ability to make sure that people are being contacted and all the rest of that. But I'll tell you what, because we know that we want to and we need to, we are working on that. That's why if you're NBF, uh, ABF, particularly if you're a leader, you're, you've heard of our emphasis. Rocky Hales put this together. We worked on it, all of us, but he put it together, person, picture, posting. Hopefully in your ABF class in the days ahead, you're, you're, you're going to be in contact with people trying to create the depth of relationship that we need to have. Now, so that's what called out. First part of called out. We're still under the first point, okay? There is another, there is another picture of being called out, okay? And it's being distinct from the world. Let, let me show you. Th this was on the day of Pentecost, So, so here it is. Here's the, the, the church. They're gathered together, 3,120 of them. And Peter, to that 3,000 at least, kept saying this with many other words. 
I don't know how long his sermon was that day. Long enough, but he said, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, Jesus said it like this, we're in the world. Don't ever think that we are saying that we, we go out of the world. In fact, we're in the world, but we're distinct. That's what called out ones mean. That, that's what it means. We're called out and called together. We're called out from the midst of a, a, a crooked and perverse generation. And let's go on to look at that. It, it, here's the rationale of the Apostle Paul. He's talking about, in this context, church discipline. There is a, a person in the church that is not living like he's a Christian, ends up being a Christian. I, 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 his, his problem was immorality. Did he have a sexual addiction? I don't know. His problem was immorality. And so he, he corrects something that could have been a thought of the Corinthians. Well, I'm not supposed to be around evil. I, I, don't, I don't need to be out there in the world. Look, if a light goes into darkness, is the darkness ever going to take over the light? What happens when a light goes into darkness? It dispels the darkness. And so Paul very clearly says, I, I, people, let, let's correct this thought. I did not mean to not associate with sexually immoral people of the world. I'm talking about church discipline, but you can't do that or you'll find yourself going out of the world, and that's not what believers should do. So we are in the world. We are called out ones, and here's what we do. Students, I, I keep looking over at the students because they're, they're on, we're all on the firing line but they're getting it. I mean, if Satan was throwing the kitchen sink at the church at Thessalonica, he was throwing, he is throwing the kitchen sink at our precious students and young people and children with all kinds of things. He's saying, hey, look, it's all relative. There are no absolutes. I'm sorry, there is just no God. And therefore, there are no absolutes. You know, you know who says that? People who know that there is a God, according to Romans 1, they know there's a God. They just don't want to believe that someday they're going to have to stand that before that God and give an account of their lives. So it's easier for them to say it's all relative. We'll just adopt whatever moral standards we want to adopt or what the culture says to us so that Evil becomes good, and good becomes evil, and the Romans 1 cycle ends up in insanity. You know, one of, one of the things that I've thought about a lot, and it goes along with this, called out once. Let me ask a question. Is everyone, I don't want to show of hands, please. Is everyone in this building today 
a regenerate, true believer, follower of Christ? What do you think? I hope so. We're, we're not going to go around and don't worry, Loyal, I'm, I'm not going to lift up your shirt and see if you have a mark on your back or Christian, big C for Christian, you know. But, but here's what I'm saying in this. We, we don't know. And in the church of Jesus Christ, now I want you to get this. We're talking about two different things going on. In the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the called out ones, every person in the church is regenerate. You can't be a member of the body of Christ if you're lost. And I'll use these biblical words. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. You have to, to be a new creation in Jesus Christ to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of the church. And that's why the institutional church, see a minute ago I asked that question, is everyone in this building? This is the institutional church of which a part of you happen to belong, I hope most of you, if not all of you, belong to the true church. It's good to have a regenerate church. Because even regenerate people have challenges getting along, right? Husbands, wives, not. I mean, you're regenerate. Maybe you're wondering about your spouse sometimes. But that is so key, so huge. So what does he say? Grace and peace. He says it twice. It's a summary of the gospel. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. That leads to this understanding. Where do we get that? Look at this. If we want to have peace, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That grace that is given to us comes and we have peace with God. But not only that, we have peace with our fellow man. And just as I said a minute ago, I, I wanted to add this other verse. You, you see what happened when, when, when Christ brought us together? He broke down. He abolished the things that divide us. In that case, it was the law that separated Jew and Gentile. Whatever perceived difference that's been broken down, we are all one person in the Lord Jesus Christ, but not just so we can be a holy huddle. It's so that we can go and proclaim the good news to other people as well. So I asked the question a minute ago when you walked in, even while you've been sitting here listening to what I've been saying up to this point, could I just ask it again? Are you truly regenerate? Are you truly a Christian? Are you, have you been saved? Have you, have you been born again? Have you repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ? Then we can move on to the second point. Verse 3, a healthy church is not perfect. 
but it is growing in its faith in God and increasing in its love for one another. I, I love what Paul says here. We are bound to give thanks. It, it, he has to, but not that kind of have to. You understand what I'm saying? If, if my wife says, honey, I want you to kiss me. And I say, do I have to? Hopefully she'll say, she'll be generous and say, yes, but not that kind of have to. Paul said, I, I got to give thanks. I don't have to, but I have to because it's just overflowing in my heart. Paul, now look at this. This is so cool. I, I just love the way the scriptures show what we ought to be doing. For example, if, if one of your kids or grandkids comes to faith in Jesus Christ, be very, very careful about just bragging on what they have done. Brag on what God has done in them. That's exactly what Paul does. We ought to give thanks to God, to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because here, here's the thing. If we are, Heritage Baptist Church, if we are growing in our health in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're growing in our relationships with each other, and we're doing that, then it's because God is in our midst, and He's at work. But He says, your faith is growing, both doctrinal accuracy and lived out. And, and by the way, in case you just wondered how that whole process works, let me just give you a little primer Paul says three verses that I want to show you. How, do that, how does that whole thing work where I come to faith in Christ? This is, why, this is why we brag on what God has done. I certainly do. Because he called me and he called you. He didn't have to. But he called us. Well, not only that, he didn't just call us, he drew us. Wow, do you realize that if you are in Christ, you, you've been called, but he didn't leave it at that? He drew you. No one can come to the Father, come to, to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then look at this. He also reveals his repentance and faith to you. He, the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience they are all meant, they're designed to lead you and me to repentance. And, and so that happens. But sanctification is a lifelong process. So a minute ago, I asked this question, are you truly regenerate? Are you saved? Are you born again? Now I want to ask a second follow-up question. Are you Growing in two things. Growing, first of all, in your faith. Is your faith growing? We'll get to one of the ways that God does that, how He grows your faith. But I'll tell you one of the ways that your faith can grow. And this is, this is a no-brainer. Students, please hear this. And we've got extra copies. We'll make extra copies. Our daily Bible reading plan that we have made available... And, and I know that sometimes you, it, it may be easy to get bogged down 
in those, particularly in the book of where are we now? We just finished Leviticus. We're now in Deuteronomy and, and all of those lists, and, but it's all redemptive. But one of the ways you grow, faith by, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so be in the Word consistently and be in prayer consistently. But not only that, he said the love for, now look at this, of each one of you, and he said it like a good southerner, you all, toward one another is increasing. The hallmark of being spirit-filled is love for one another. And, And that should be clear. Two weeks ago, We had our annual meeting, and uh, we talked about this in our ABF class today, but but I I used Romans chapter 14 as the focal point. And if you weren't here, let me just give you a summary of what I believe Paul is saying in that when he talks about love. He goes back to chapter 13, owe nothing to any man except to love one another. But then he spells it out. He fleshes it out. And here's basically what I said out of Romans 14. The focus, and and listen to this, this is not just in church life. This is in your relationship with friends, with family, with your husband, with your wife. The focus is not being on the right side or the wrong side in terms of non-essentials. Okay, I, I tried to say that slowly. Did that compute? When we're talking about non-essentials, non-absolutes, we're not talking about being, at least Paul is in Romans 14, being on the right side or the wrong side. What Paul was trying to do, too, was not necessarily bring an end to disagreement. Now, I know in our culture there is no room for conversation in in a lot of our culture. But in the church of Jesus Christ, there ought to be room for honest dialogue and, and disagreement. Paul really wasn't trying to end that among believers. But what he was trying to do was to show us how to treat one another when we continue to disagree. mentioned that verse a minute ago. I'll just put that up for you. Let's go on to the last one. I I, I just hope that, that these phrases are computing with you because they are so important. Fourth verse says this, a healthy church is steadfast and faithful in the face of persecution and affliction. This church was a model of people who imitate Christ, hear me, people who imitate Christ Not when things are good, but when things are hard. He mentions specifically persecutions, that is, actively pursuing injury and affliction. That word means to squeeze together. And I think all of us would would agree that in our culture, we are living in a time when increasingly... There is opposition, 
I, I, I would say that we don't experience a lot of open persecution at this point, but will the time come? I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again. I feel like for our culture, and, and by the way, you know that I have the bigger picture of, of what's happening in our world at large. People are going through literal persecution. And that's important to recognize. But it certainly looks like to me that our culture is racing toward the cliff. By the way, let, let me just put something in here. It's a little encouragement. I was talking to someone last week, and he made this comment. He said this, and I thought, this is good. Uh, and I, I confess I need to stop saying it. But you parents and grandparents, stop saying, I feel sorry for our children and our grandchildren. And this brother said, we need to be reminded that God is sovereign and that He has raised up our students and our children for such a time as this. And we don't, that's why we cannot shy away from the truth and do everything we can as, as leaders in the church, as leaders in our family, to put the truth into them so that they will be able to withstand. Have you been following the, the saga of a young man by the name of James Coates? Anybody recognize that name? He lives in Alberta, Canada. He's a faithful pastor of a Bible teaching, Bible-believing church. And, and because of mandates that allowed tattoo businesses, massage parlors, hairstylists to remain open, but shut down playgrounds and churches. And he said, I know what we must do. We'll try to take every precaution we can, but we must continue gathering together. We must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The authorities came into the church and said, cease and desist. He said, I can't, I can't do that. And so they put him in jail. He was supposed to get out this last week, but he didn't. His trial is not until early May. He may stay there the entire time. By the way, the, the magistrate said, you can go free if you just promise not to assemble your people together and don't preach the word. And don't sing. And he said, I cannot promise that I will do that. We can get together and discuss all of the merits of Romans 13 and all the rest of that. I am just saying that even when that comes to us, and, and that's happening just north of our border, Canada is kind of a cousin country, I, I guess you could say, and if that's happening to them, 
will it possibly happen to us? The chances are that it might, but take heart. Listen, one of the things that persecution and affliction does when it happens, here's one of the things it does. It will prove who's a part of the real church. Now, I'm talking about all different kinds of persecution and affliction because in the parable of the sower, here's a guy that receives the word with a lot of joy, but when persecution, exact same words, and afflictions arise, they fall away because they had no firm root. They were not true believers. And so it's going to purify the church, the, the, the real church. But the second thing it'll do is to strengthen. In this you rejoice. How many times? James says it. Rejoice when you encounter various trials. The psalmist says it. It was good for me when I was afflicted. Good for you? Peter says it like this, it'll, it'll test the genuineness of your faith so that it will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and maybe even before that. One of the things that happened last week, and I missed it, I wish I'd seen it, I, I did go back and, and watch the interview, but James Coates' wife, Erin, now they've, they've got two young children. She's basically at home raising the kids on their own, and, and of course, churches have stepped in, and, and they, they are, are being supportive. Some are not, but, but many are. And she was asked by a media personality, you may have varying opinions about Tucker Carlson, but he had her on his show, 14 million viewers got to hear James Coates' wife share the gospel. Because her husband was in jail, is in jail. What did you think when you walked in today? That was the first question that I asked. Second question was, are you truly regenerate? That's so important. Third question, are you, Christian, growing in your faith? Let me make an appeal that if you are here today and you somehow have found in your heart that you are not a follower of Christ, you're a religious person, maybe a good person, but you have never seen the reality that you have offended a holy God and that you are under his just condemnation, but that he has sent his son Jesus to make an atoning sacrifice on a cross, crucified for our sins, the gospel says, buried, raised on the third day. We'll be celebrate, celebrating that in a few weeks and ascended into heaven and coming again. And if you're here today without Christ, oh, it would be so wonderful if you in your heart would receive Him, be born again, be a part of the universal body of Christ, 
and follow him in faith, even in the face of persecution and affliction until Jesus comes again. Father, I thank you that we can worship you and celebrate, look to the example of a church that was growing in health. They, they had problems, they were attacked from without and attacked from within, but they were faithfully continuing to grow in their relationship with you, to grow in their love for one another, and really above all to count it joy in the midst of persecutions and affliction. So, Father, help us to be, first of all, that kind of church, and then we pray for those who may be here today and know that they need to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Oh, God, we cry out to you on behalf of them. May salvation come to them even this day. Now, thank you as we prepare to stand and to sing a hymn uh, where we close our time together out, but may we continue in worship and faithful service to you. In the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.